secret agent. Now, I'm going to warn you that as I read this to you today, I will, I am going to do everything I can to not hop into a sermon because this is really important. God's secret agents, he will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways, Psalm 91:11. A secret agent is one who seeks to protect his country his king or his president against evil forces that are opposed to the one he serves. The American Secret Service is charged with protecting the president of the United States. They do an excellent job, but even they will tell you that someone who is fiercely determined to assassinate the president could be successful. God has his secret agents. They are angels, unseen, unrecognized by the world. They never fail in their appointed task. Much has been written recently about angels, often not based on the Bible, but on popular legends, but angels are real. And God has commanded them to watch over us. Only in eternity will we know how many accidents they prevented, how often they kept Satan's malicious spirits at bay. In the meantime, we can take comfort in their presence and thank God for the love he expressed for us through their service. And I can't think of the, the specific scripture, but it says escapes, it's in the Psalms, escapes from death belong to the Lord. And we have, what honey? 6820, Psalm 6820, and we have enjoyed the truth of those in our family several times, as probably you have too. So with that, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you. We do thank you, Lord, that you confirm in your word that you do have secret agents, that, that angels have been sent to minister to those who have your salvation Thank you, Lord, for all of the things that you do, the seen and the unseen, that protects us and, and stands beside us as we walk through our lives. We ask you to be with us today, to speak through the uh, worship and speak through our pastor, and may, Lord, we see um, the, the truth of your work in our lives this morning as we gather together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to stand to join us. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of king and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, alleluia. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, alleluia. Jesus, Prince of Peace, glory, alleluia. Jesus, Prince of Peace, glory, alleluia. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, alleluia. Jesus, Prince of Peace, glory, Alleluia. Jesus, Prince of Peace, glory, Alleluia. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, Alleluia. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, Alleluia. Jesus, Prince of Peace, glory, Alleluia. Jesus, Prince of Peace, glory, Alleluia. 
For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Genesis 8, this is just after the flood, and Noah is, is preparing to build and builds an altar to the Lord. He took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And here's the part to remember. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Now, if you'd like to stand one more time, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way, the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And if you have really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show you Show him to you. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
The words I speak are not my own, but my Father's who lives in me and does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You'll join me now in our responsive reading. Be- <laughs> Beckoning God as you moved in the lives of Elijah and Elisha. Move in our lives, inviting us to journey to unknown territory, to listen for your voice and to speak your prophetic word in a world that does not want to hear. Empowered by your spirit, grant us the courage we need. Journey, trust, listen, speak, and accept your commission to be your faithful servant people. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all, designer of the entire universe. We know that that you have, you share it with others. You share it with us. You allow us to be part of your, you have created us. You've allowed us to be part of this world. But Lord, you, and you bless us many times over. You, but you do call on us to give back to bless others the same way as you have blessed us. So Lord, may our hearts always be open and may we the gifts we give be done not out of duty, but out of love for you. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We have uh, finished our study in John. And I would like to forecast a coming study. We will continue on into the Acts of the Apostles. Some call that Luke 2. And show us slide 2, please. Today we're going to study the Athanasian Creed. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. Paul is here writing to the believers in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica. The city was named after Alexander the Great's sister, Thessaloniki. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. If you remember, Passover falls right into, or I should say, the festival of first fruits continues right after the Passover. This is the reference here. You are the first fruits through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the traditions of your gospel, the traditions of your word. We're thankful for the early church fathers who were so faithful to expound on that gospel and write beautiful treatises of your love and grace. And we would understand more of you this morning, so thereby your Holy Spirit grant us 
understanding, deep understanding of who you are and how gracious you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we learned that the traditions, Paul, of speaking here is the gospel. Now remember the gospel was mostly conveyed by word of mouth in the first century. There were a few letters, epistles, floating around among the apostles, but they were not widespread. Nobody had a red-letter edition of the King James Bible with concordance and maps. The New Testament would not be canonized for another 350 years. We also learned that God's traditions are specifically the gospel and the sacraments. And then there are man's traditions. And in that category we place the creeds, confessions, statements of faith, doctrines, and dogma. Today we're going to study the Athanasian Creed. I told you last week that the Nicene Creed was a, how shall we say, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Amplified. The Nicene Creed was an amplified Apostles' Creed. The Athanasian Creed is an amplified Nicene Creed. The early church fathers sought to amplify, to expound on the doctrine of the Trinity. The Athanasian Creed is that, an exposition on the doctrine of the Trinity. And its intent was to emphasize the differences between the true Christian faith and the heresy of Arianism. If you're a student of church history, you know the beginnings of the church were fraught with controversy and false teachings, which Arianism was the biggest threat, even more so than Gnosticism, the Gospel of Judas, etc. Arianism had crept into the church by the way of the heretic Arius, who taught that Jesus was not of the same substance as the Father that Jesus was created and therefore was not divine, which is in direct conflict with John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1.1 1, 1 is a key point in the Jehovah's Witnesses' arguments about Jesus. They argue that with God does not mean the same as Jesus is God, which is a complete bogus argument. But to end that argument, if you ever are exposed to such, point your JW friends to the last portion of that verse. The Word was God. End of argument. JWs don't uh, understand the nuances of the Greek language. And they don't want to hear about Colossians 2.8, which says the fullness of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelled bodily in Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The moment you de deny the divinity of Jesus, you simultaneously deny salvation by grace through faith. JWs don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. They are the modern-day stepchildren of Arius. So why are the creeds important? Because they help us solidify our faith, and they shore up our apologetics. Remember apologetics. It's, a, it's not an argument. It's an explanation of what you believe. There are ten treatises that comprise the Book of Concord. Any former Lutherans? The Book of Concord is what the Lutherans believe and have believed since the 16th century forward. It has been a primer for their faith. It is also known as the Lutheran Confessions. And among those confessions are the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. 
Lutherans will recite the Apostles' Creed virtually every Sunday of the year, substituting the Nicene and Athanasian creeds at Christmas, Easter, and Trinity Sunday. And by now, I'm sure you're asking yourself, okay, what's, how, how's this important to me? Because no one had more influence on the Protestant Reformation than Luther. My quest this morning is not to make Lutherans that of you, but to help you understand the importance of the creeds. Luther considered the creeds to be primary knowledge of the Reformed faith. That's reason enough to know the creeds. Cumberlands are reformed. Therefore, we should have more than a passing knowledge of the creeds. You rarely ever hear the Athanasian Creed recited in the congregation because it's three times longer than even the Nicene Creed, but it's three times more powerful. You cannot seriously study the Athanasian Creed and walk away without a substantive understanding of the Trinity. But I think it's safe to say most Christians really don't have a deep understanding of the Trinity, which is a good reason to study this creed. So who was Athanasius? He was an Egyptian Christian and leader of the early church in Alexandria, Egypt. Remember, there was a Western church and an Eastern church, largely because there was a Western Roman Empire and an Eastern Roman Empire. The Western church became or evolved into the Roman Catholic Church, while today the Eastern church is represented by the Greek Orthodox, Syriac, Coptic, Russian Orthodox, etc., Athanasius' leadership of the Eastern Church spanned 45 years until his death in 337 A.D. He was exiled as the head of the Egyptian church under four different emperors. Four different times he was exiled for a total of 17 years. Athanasius is considered the chief defender of the doctrine of the Trinity against the heresy of Arianism. And all the creed is attributed to him. He died some 100 years before it was written. It was given his name to honor his contributions to the church and his fierce defense of the Trinity. Most believe that the creed bearing his name was written in the late 5th century Gaul, uh, what is today modern-day France, by the Celts. Did you know the Celts became the French? <clears throat> the French were Celts before they were French, just as the English were French before they were English. It's a small world. Slide number three, please. The Celtic cross. Do you realize that the Celtic cross is the logo of the Cumberland Church? Notice in the center is the Celtic knot. And at the extremities, head, foot, and sides, are, you could say, a stylized Celtic knot. The theology of the Athanasian Creed is firmly rooted in the tradition of Augustine's writings. I know you've heard Augustine. That's not correct. It's Augustine. Portions of the creed are the exact wording of Augustine's writings. And that's a good thing because Augustine was one of the early church fathers and a brilliant theologian. But remember, the creeds are not gospel. But they are based on the gospel. So let's get into it. Slide four, please. The Athanasian Creed. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. Underline that word, unity. Neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit still another. But the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. 
equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. This is rock-solid doctrine. Slide five, please. There's something most interesting here. Notice the triangle, an equilateral triangle. Our brothers and sisters from the Reformed Church in America, they are, how shall we say, the posterity of the Dutch Reformed Church, formed in 1857, just a few years before the Cumberlands. But what's that triangle all about? Glad you asked. Your concept of God should be very similar to what I hold in my hand. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what are they together? God. Slide six, please. What the Father is, the Son is, and so is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated is the Father. Uncreated is the Son. Uncreated is the Spirit. The Father is infinite. The Son, infinite. The Holy Spirit, infinite. Eternal is the Father. Eternal is the Son. Eternal is the Spirit. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal, one. And there are not three uncreated or unlimited beings, but one who is uncreated and unlimited. Almighty is the Father, almighty the Son, almighty the Spirit. And yet there are not three almighty beings, but one who is the almighty. Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. When you address God, you are addressing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Slide seven, please. This is fabulous. I hope you can all see it. This is called the shield of the Trinity. Notice it again is an equilateral triangle. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Slide 8, please. Thus the Father is Lord. The Son is Lord. The Holy Spirit is Lord. And yet there are not three Lords but one Lord. As Christian truth compels us to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so the Catholic faith, remember the small c, means universal Christian church. The universal Christian religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. So when you pray, Lord, help me, do you realize you are enlisting Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Each is Lord. Together they are Lord. When you address Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are addressing the person of the Trinity. You address one, you address all. You ask for help from one, you get help from all. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, we're praying to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place, we are addressing Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You address one, you address all. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten. The Son was neither made nor created. You see defense against Arianism here. But Jesus alone, begotten of the Father. Only the flesh of Jesus was begotten, not his spirit. 
This was the argument of Arianism, that all flesh is begotten or created. Arius contended that because Jesus was flesh, no way he could be God. He had to be created to be flesh. There's so much they don't understand. The Spirit was neither made nor created, but is proceeding from the Father and the Son. Thus there is one Father, not three fathers. One Son, not three. One Holy Spirit, not three spirits. Slide nine, please. And in this trinity, no one is before or after, greater or less than the other. But all three persons in themselves are co-eternal and co-equal. And so we must worship the trinity in unity, the unity of one God in three persons. One God, three personalities. We can't comprehend this oneness. Yet it is our charge to replicate it among ourselves, and we can't do that without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, without the ministry of the Trinity. The oneness of the Trinity is the oneness we are to have with each other, and that can't happen without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 17 Remember Jesus' prayer for us. Father, make them one as we are one. That's profound. Whoever wants to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. It is necessary for eternal salvation that one also faithfully believe that the Lord Jesus became flesh. For this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man. Slide 10, please. He is God, begotten before all the worlds. What's that mean? Begotten before all the worlds. That means the eternal plan of the Trinity before creation. That eternal plan was to sacrifice Jesus on a cross for our sins. Jesus is God, begotten before all worlds from the being of the Father, and he is a man, born in the world from the being of his mother, existing fully as God and fully as man with a rational soul and a human body. What's a rational soul? Something that can be comprehended by logic or reason. He is equal to the Father in divinity, subordinate to the Father in his humanity. I only do what I see my Father doing. Submissive to the Father in his humanity. In other words, the Father thinks that I do it. This is scriptural. Jesus was totally subordinate to the Father as we are totally subordinate to Jesus. Although he, Jesus, is God and man, he is not divided, but is one Christ. He is united because God has taken humanity into himself. He does not transform deity into humanity. He's transformed humanity into deity. He is completely one in the trinity of his person without confusing his natures. For as a rational soul and body are one person, so the one Christ is God and man. Only God could die on the cross, not a man. The atonement for our sin had to be God sacrificed for men. A mere man was not a perfect atonement. Slide 11. He suffered death for our salvation. He descended into hell. That's New Testament thought. Just as uh, the New Testament calls the place of the dead hell, uh, the Old Testament called it Sheol. Don't be confused. Sheol, hell, is referring to the same thing. As I preached before, think of before the cross, we have this great chasm. 
paradise on one side, hell on the other. There is a massive chasm in between, the place of the dead. And remember when Christ died, when, while he was in the grave, he set the captives free. He went to paradise. He did not go to hell. No reason for him to go to hell. He went to paradise, emptied out paradise, and took those in paradise to heaven. And what it says he uh, preached to the spirits in prison. I believe he stood on the precipice of that chasm and preached over to those in hell. I told you I was the way, the truth, and the life. Slide 11, please. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people shall rise bodily to give an account of their deeds. I've always wondered, those who died in their sins, they'll be raised bodily, but they won't be raised glorified. Those who have done good will enter eternal life. Those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. This is the Catholic, universal Christian faith. One cannot be saved without believing this firmly and faithfully. Now you know why we don't recite the Athanasian Creed typically only in portions. The time in which we live requires that our doctrine be rock solid. Requires that we know what we believe and why. We are living in Sodom and Gomorrah, if it escaped your attention. Judgment is coming. In fact, judgment is here. We are the children of Israel living in Pharaoh's kingdom of darkness. And we're seeing those ten judgments that came on Egypt. We're seeing them. The children of Israel, they did not partake of those judgments, but they saw them. They smelled them. They felt them. And so are we. And what do we do? We paint the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost of our heart. I wonder how many of us are truly thankful for the day and time in which we live. Slide 12, please. Matthew 13, 15 through 17 from the ESV. Jesus said, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, of course, Jesus is here speaking to Israel, telling them that the kingdom of heaven has come, the kingdom of heaven is upon them, their Messiah has arrived, but they are oblivious. God's word is eternal. And here we are in a different age. And these words still ring true. They ring true for the day in which we live. Many righteous prophets and people long to see what you see and did not see it. We are the kingdom of heaven. And we're about to be caught up to meet our Lord in the air. This kingdom is about to arise. 
We're living in the final chapter of the book. And the non-believers scoff at this. But the fact is, these are the end times. These are the last days. And you and I, we should be singing glory, hallelujah. We should be telling each other rejoice. Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Matthew 24 is portrayed for us every evening on the 6 o'clock news. The people of the, of the earth are in chaos. Every nation is in turmoil. And under our feet, the sea and the sky is in chaos. There's violent weather and cataclysm all over this earth. And I lost count of how many mass shootings we've had in the past week. But lawlessness abounds all over the world. It seems the entire world is in revolt. So what do we do? We get really serious about our faith. We get really serious about spending time in the Word. Serious time in prayer. And I'll ask you again, are you happy that you're living in the end times? You should be. You should be damn right jiggy. Because the trump is about to sound. Are you anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus? Or are you biting your nails, wondering if you should take all your discretionary cash and buy gold? And I know some of you are saying, but preacher, you have no idea what I've already been through. You have no idea how tough the past few years have been for me. And you're saying, I don't know if I have the courage or the strength to face yet another fiery trial. I want you to put yourself in an attitude of prayer. As I read this to you, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to make this text come alive and speak to your heart. From Habakkuk chapter 3, from the message. God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens and cattle barns are empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm the king of the mountain. To quote Job, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last day I shall see him face to face. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy. Since 1980, the United States of America has averaged 1.25 million abortions a year with a watermark one and one half million abortions in 1980. 85. Are we prepared to live by faith? We're living in judgment. We better be prepared to live by faith. We have entered an age where we won't survive without it. But do you understand how much God wants you to live by faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But why does he want us to live by faith so much? Because he wants to bless our socks off, and he can't do that if we're not living by faith. 
If we live by faith, we receive his peace, his joy, his everlasting love. Right here, right now. Right in the middle of all this chaos. Psalm 23 from the message. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. And I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Make it so, Lord Jesus. It's our choice. Either we live in the great house of God or we sleep on the park bench and beg on the street corner. It's our choice. Are we anxious? Why? Romans 8, 38 and 39 from the Amplified Bible. For I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Remember, Satan is created. Nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we don't live by faith, how are we going to bring glory to God? That's why we're here. That's why you're still here, to bring glory to God. That is why God gives us our next breath, to bring glory to His name. It's not about you. It's not about me. St. Paul said it best, for me to live is Christ. The just shall live by faith. Let us pray. <coughs> Father, we are so thankful for your word. Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you minister that word to our hearts. And Lord Jesus, we are thankful that by your death and atonement of our sins, we can know the Trinity in complete fullness. Father, we ask that this day as we take, partake of the sacrament of the altar, that you would anoint our spirits with your Holy Spirit. Bring down heaven rested on our tired and weary spirits for your glory and our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen. For my benediction this morning from Eugene Peterson. Isaac Singer, the Jewish-American novelist and master storyteller, once said, I pray only when I'm in trouble. But I'm in trouble all the time. So I pray all the time. Everywhere throughout the biblical revelation, we're encouraged to come to God with our list of requests. God is generous and never runs out of blessings. God delights in giving. It's what he does best. Blessings to you all. Let's prepare our hearts for the sacrament of the altar. Bear with me that my back holds out, <laughs> please.
There's a store in the mall called Things Remembered where you can get items that can be engraved to commemorate a special occasion. Many people give engraved items in honor of a special day or a shared moment. If you receive such a gift, you know what a treasure it is and how special it can become. People like to remember happy times and significant events. Memories are precious. They keep us connected to people, places, and events that have shaped us and influenced our lives. We may wish we could forget some things, but even life's unpleasantries can offer lasting lessons learned through adversity. At the Last Supper, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples and then led them in the ancient observation of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or as we call it, Passover. Jesus, the master teacher, used this opportunity to plant an important memory in his disciples gathered in that upper room. Jesus shared this meal for their benefit and for ours. As Jesus raised the bread and the cup in thanksgiving, he added new significance to this ancient ritual. Luke 22 records that Jesus told his disciples to observe the Passover in remembrance of me. Jesus took an old symbol and filled it with new meaning. The meaning of Jesus' words and actions is rooted in his command to remember. As today's disciples, we observe the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ. Some congregations refer to this ordinance as the Memorial Supper to highlight the significance of Christ's atoning work on the cross and to call believers to remember his sacrificial death. Others, as we do, call it communion to highlight the believer's intimacy with Christ. Whatever we call this observance, one thing is clear. It is a time to remember. The God who acted in history to deliver his people, Israel, has also acted in history to deliver us. The elements used in the supper are not the real body and blood of Christ, but are powerful symbols that cause us to remember that Jesus really did suffer and die in a real historic time and place. What Jesus did centuries ago impacts life today and our eternity as well. People have many ideas about who Jesus is and why he came to earth. Jesus himself said that he came to seek and to save what was lost, Luke 19.10. When we gather around the Lord's table, the elements speak to us of his sacrifice, his substitution, and our salvation. We celebrate our redemption in remembrance of him. The Lord's Supper presents the powerful message of the gospel. What a perfect time to give people an opportunity to relive the salvation purchased on the cross. Those who respond will remember that the symbols of the Lord's table spoke to them of their need and Christ's provision. We should remember that the supper's personal significance Luke 22, 19 through 20, record Jesus' words. This is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus personalizes his statements by using the pronoun you. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to suffer for them. He was going to die for them. True, Jesus would die for everyone, for the sin of the world. But as his disciples heard Jesus say, I'm doing this for you.
The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. We shed for you the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the Lord, of the risen Lord, until he comes.
to uh, challenge each of you, you may be seated, to fast and pray for Jerusalem. There is a call to prayer organized by the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. The Christian Broadcasting Network is supporting and broadcasting this. I think we should join in. It started as a national call to prayer, but has gained traction and has now gone international. Missionary and outreach organization from around the world have joined in to the tune of 10 million Christians and counting. The challenge is for every Christian to pray for Jerusalem one hour a day, starting today, continuing for the next 21 days. If 10 minutes is the best you can do, then pray your 10 minutes. And guess what 21 days from today is? Pentecost. Scripture commands that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If you've been watching the news, you know they need our prayers. There are two things I want to challenge you to for the next 21 days. Number one, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That the salvation of our Lord and his protection would be on all who live there. Number two, pray for revival in this city, this state, this nation, this world. I challenge you to read Isaiah 62 every day for the next 21 days. And as you do every time you read the word Zion or Jerusalem, I want you to think about this. Jerusalem is your heritage. Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem, will be your home in Christ's millennial kingdom. For 1,000 years, Jerusalem will be your home. I'm asking for all of us to dedicate the next three Thursdays as a day of fasting. As you know, our session meets for prayer every Thursday night at 6. You don't have to be a member of the session to join. It's a prayer meeting. We pray for the needs of the church, members, and friends, and we'll pray for Jerusalem. All are welcome. We break our fast at 6 o'clock, and then we pray. Come join us. The more the merrier. You can fast the entire day or one meal. You can fast vegetables or chocolate, whatever you wish to give up. That's between you and God. Fasting is a good way to focus on God. Your stomach will keep you focused. It will remind you about in the quarter hour why you're fasting. And if you're thinking, well, you know, America has its own problems. Why are we praying for Jerusalem? Let me ask you this. The great tribulation recorded in the book of Revelation, do you really know what that's about? Do you really understand what the last days are all about? It's about Israel. It's about the lengths the Lord God will go to to bring Israel <clears throat> and indeed all the peoples of the earth to repentance. Read Obadiah. It's only one chapter. Shortest book in the Old Testament. Read what happens when we don't pray for Jerusalem. And when you read it, substitute the name of America for Edom. Read what awaits those who despise Israel. Jerusalem is the city of God. It has been for 3,000 years. It will be for at least another 1,000. 
And remember, we are joint heirs with Christ. We will rule and reign with him from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. No longer aliens. Now we are citizens with the saints in the kingdom of God. We will rule and reign in that new Jerusalem. The kingdom of heaven will come down and be physically present on this earth for 1,000 years. That's something to get excited about. We have a vested interest, so let's pray. Thank you.